Good morning, everyone. If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. We're going to continue our lessons in 1 Corinthians. Where we left off with uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians there at the end of chapter 12, I would like to go back there and read 12 and 31. If you notice there in um, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, it's uh, 21, I wrote that wrong. <laughs> There's no 31 there. In uh, 12, 21, it says, um, oh, I'm in the wrong, it is. I'm in the wrong place. You're in the right place. I'm in the wrong place. There we go. Notice what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Interesting that he would be telling the Corinthians, whom he just told, uh, that they should not be lifting one gift above another. Uh, should not be dividing over the fact that some people can do some things and others cannot. Um, I think it's it's interesting that now, at at this point, I think we often get confused. He's saying... Uh, but desire the higher, the greater the gifts. It's just interesting that he's saying that. Uh, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And I think that's just because of the fact that there are bad uh, Bible divisions in your headings. He's not really finishing an idea there. He's still continuing with it. He's telling them that your divisions are wrong, The things you're concentrating, you shouldn't be concentrating on. And now he tells them there's something higher, something greater that you should be desiring. And he tells them that he is going to show that to them. So Paul's point is not ending. The promise is something that he's giving right there at the end of our Bibles in chapter 12. And now it's going to be introduced And that is the introduction, rather, to what he's talking about in chapter 13. And so, when we read chapter 12 and verse 31, we should look at that and say, okay, now, Paul is going to give the exposition of that. He's going to give the explanation of what he said there in 1231 in chapter 13. I think that's the proper way to look at this section of the letter. And so, we're going to see... Uh, what Paul is demanding. He's telling them they should earnestly desire higher gifts, and he's going to show them what that is. And that's just an incredible proclamation. What could possibly be better? What could be higher? What could be greater than the ability to speak in tongues? What could be higher? What could be greater than the ability to prophesy. I mean, this is, this is an amazing transition here. What could be better than knowledge? What could be better than healing? What could be better than interpretation? What could be better even than the apostleship itself that Paul practices, that he, that he talks about there? What could be better than that? All of these people that God has given ability to so that they could play their part and be the part, the member that they need to be and support the body, what could possibly be greater than that? So let's look at chapter 13 
in the first three verses then. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I hope that we read that very carefully. Because Paul is saying even miraculous spiritual gifts, those very things that are dividing the brethren in Corinth are nothing. If they're not used for the purpose of loving one another. If they're not used in the love of God, in the love of one another, in the love of glorifying Him, it doesn't matter that you have them. It doesn't matter that you were blessed with them. It doesn't matter that you execute them properly and greatly. It's nothing. And what do we do when we read passages like this? With such a profound statement to it. We sort of get bogged down in other things, right? I can't tell you how many Bible classes I've been in and how many studies we have conducted. And and the question always comes up, you know, what does it mean to remove mountains? Well, okay... What it means to remove mountains is to take a mountain, pull it out of its place, put it in another place. And we're supposed to look at that and go, how do you do that? That's the question. That's exactly what's being pointed out here. And I think sometimes we overthink things. It's impossible to do that. (laughs) You don't have the human power. I don't have the human power to do that. That's exactly what Paul is using here. Have you ever seen have you ever heard somebody say, you know, that person has a heart of gold? Do they really have a heart of gold? You know, if you popped open their chest, would there be a beating heart made out of gold? No. We know it's an idiomatic phrase. Meaning what? That they're good, that they're kind, that they're thoughtful. This is what Paul is saying. Even if I had the power, which is impossible, to remove that mountain and put it somewhere else, if I didn't do it with love, it wouldn't make any difference. It's still the strength of the passage. If I looked at you and I told you I can take 20 years of the aging that you have done away from you in a moment, would you want me to do that? You'd say, yeah, that would be pretty good. Some of us would be really young. Okay, some of us would certainly be younger. And I said, I can just take that away from you if you want me to. And I, you walk up to me and I go, boom, there's 20 years, gone. You have now reversed the aging 20 years. How do you feel? I feel better. Of course you do. Can you do more? You bet I can. If I did that with no love for you, or no love for God, it wouldn't mean anything. That's an incredible mindset to have, isn't it? And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Anything I could do, no matter how great or how miraculous, or even natural, quite frankly, if I don't do that with the love that he is speaking of here, it's nothing. But just look at that. Look at all those incredible things that he's talking about. That's what we would say. 
The gift of prophecy? The gift of being able to speak another language that you didn't go through school to learn? <laughs> you know, I mean, the ability to remove a mountain? That, that's an incredible thing. Look at all of those wondrous things, yet in comparison to love, they're nothing. Let me ask you a question. How much more nothing do we have to compare love to today than they had? I think that's an important question. They had all of those cool, miraculous abilities. We have none of those. So, typically, we would have more love because we have less to compare it to or to misuse it with. And yet... Love is still in short supply in our day and age, isn't it? How sad. Paul says, I'm nothing without love. This is Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was the protege of Gamaliel. And he says, I'm nothing if I don't have love. It's not about me. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I can do. It's about how I'm motivated. What are we motivated to do? Because motivation is everything. In the greatest of times, in the greatest of events, I'm supposed to remember that I could lose my soul even though I may be doing good things. It's an incredibly sobering statement. If I do good, but I'm motivated by anything but love, I may as well do nothing good. Because it doesn't matter. And that's what Paul is saying here. And again, an astounding statement, an astounding truth. What motivates you when you do good? What motivates me when I do good? When I study the Bible, do I study it so that I can glorify God and strengthen my faith in Him? Or do I study it so I can be better than somebody else? Smarter than somebody else? Wiser than somebody else? Because I'm coveting that feeling. We know the difference, right? Why do I work so hard? Why do you work so hard? Why do we do those things? Is it because we just hope that someday somebody needs help and I can give it to them. And I'll be able to give it to them. Or is it because we want stuff from Stuff Mart? You know, or is it because we want better houses, better cars, better lives, more comfort, better air conditioning? See, that's the thing that Paul is expressing here. If I can do all of these incredible things... But I don't have love. It's nothing. What kind of love is that? See, Paul is demanding that we have a love of God and a love for others by extension. He tells us, very frankly, if I love God, loving everybody else is going to be easy. If I don't love God, then I can't say that I love everybody else. That's fair. Wouldn't it be fair? Look with me in First John. In 1 John, the 4th chapter, verses 7-11, through 11, John gives us a similar uh, uh, lesson, a similar demand. In 1 John 4, 7-11, he says, Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that we have He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, that sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> if God loved us, it should just be natural. And, there, and the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people that do selfless acts, aren't there? There are lots of people that do that. Paul is saying that could be done for reasons apart from love. And that's strange, but it's true. He's letting us know that sometimes our selfless acts could be done just because you want the goodwill of others. That's good. Selfless acts could be done just because, you know, I, I always think about these kids in school. When I see them in school, if they're in the National Honor Society or, or they're in some kind of a club or organization, they have to do a certain amount of public service every semester to stay in that organization. You know, they don't do the public service otherwise. Why did they do the public service? I mean, it was required. They get a certificate. They get more money for college, you know, if they complete that. You know, they, and we look at that and we go, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. If they did it all the other times too. But they don't. We're trained not to work because of love. It's the way our, our lives and our world is designed. And Paul is, is just expressing that. That's all he's doing. He's expressing the fact that we really do things selfishly, thinking that we're doing things out of love. Because even if we do something for the goodwill of others, or if we do something selfishly, or we're motivated by that selfishness, that doesn't equal love of God. That's hard knowledge. That is hard knowledge. This is the stuff of real self-examination. The sobering reality check of the inspired and preserved Word of God. That's how Paul introduces love's character to us. He's going to characterize love. Let's look at that characterization. 1 Corinthians 13... Verses 4 through 17. Let me get back there. Four through seven, sorry. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's our test. 
When we love someone else or we're working according to what we see as love, we read this and we look at ourselves because of this. He says there are things that love does and there are things that love will never do. Now see, for the Corinthians, they were doing the things that love doesn't do. Right? And that's what we read. And so they were divided. Their unrighteousness was evident. Their sin was very clear to see. And Paul is saying that's just the way it always is. By extension, we can claim to be a Christian. We can claim to be righteous. We can claim to be a member of the Lord's church. But the fact of the matter is, if this character is not a part of our lives, we lay bare as a testament to our sin exactly who we really are. And that's exactly what he's saying. You're not fooling anybody. I told you before, I was raised by a a mother who could figure people out really quick. All my childhood, I looked at her and I said, Mom, how do you do that? How did you know they were going to be mean? How did you know they were going to be evil? How did you know they were going to be conniving? I used to get so mad at her. I would bring somebody home to date and I'd come in and I'd, and I, you know, you had to do that in my house. I'd say, Mom, that's the girl I like to date. She'd come in and she'd meet her and my mom would be very cordial and, and the lady, the young lady would leave and then later on that evening I'd come in and she would go, she'd go like this. She goes, sit down, son. And I'd sit down and she goes, um, you don't want to date that girl. And I'd look at her and go, but mom, you know, I like her. She's like, I know. I don't understand how you don't even know her, right? How many times have we told our parents, you don't even know her. She looks at me and she goes, I don't have to know anything but what I've already seen. Isn't that incredible? And she, and I used to think she was crazy. You old coot, you are out of your mind. There's no way you can sum up things like that. How do you know that? And when I'd ask her just straightforward like that, she'd look at me and go, about 50 years more of experience than you'll ever have. And I went, okay, fair enough. Give me the list. What was wrong? Did you see when she did this? Blah, blah, blah. Whatever it was. And I said, no, but I remember that now. Yes, of course you do. Did you hear when she said this? Blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, but I didn't think anything about it. I know you did it. Did you see how she was dressed? How she held her hair? How she looked? You you name it. The amount of makeup on her face. I don't care what it was. Did you see all of it in the picture? No, I didn't see that, Mom. Okay? I didn't see it. How do you see it? Because I've seen it all before. Many, many times. People always show who they are. You just have to be looking at it. Boy, she blew me away with that. Next day, I... How come you didn't give me a call? Just go. Just go. I wasn't going to look at him and go, My mom doesn't like you. That wouldn't have been very manly. My mom said no. Go away. You know, that's not very manly to do that. But, luckily, you listen if you want to. If you have the wherewithal to listen. If you don't, you don't. You look or you don't. And Paul is telling them, look, guys, look. This, brethren, is what things are evident. 
And then we have to ask ourselves, how do we fare with that? How do I hold up to that? How do others hold up to that? Because he's going to be very clear. What does he say? Love's character is patient. Simply put, it means long-suffering. Love doesn't get irritated very easily. Now, think about yourself for a second. I think about myself when I read this. I don't like the answer I ever get back from it. It's kind of hard to answer yourself. Because you know everything about yourself. That's the hard part. Do you get irritated easily? We just have to ask ourselves that question. How quick does it... What what does it take for you to fly off the handle? Or to get upset with somebody? Or to get irritated? Does it take a word, a look? I see that in school all the time. Why are you two fighting? He looked at me, mister. He what? He looked at me. Maybe he liked your shirt. And they tell me, no, it's the way he was looking at me, mister. (laughs) And I just tell them, that is foolish, bud. You got, maybe you should stop looking at people. (laughs) Because if you're going to get that irritated that quickly, your life is going to be very sad. Isn't Paul saying the same thing? In James, the second chapter, verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you are a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what James says, right? If I don't get irritable easily, I have love. If I do, I don't. End of story. Oh, but there's not just one thing. Love is also kind. Kind. Defined as the nature of being friendly, generous, considerate, affectionate. I put that that uh, parentheses up there for myself, by the way. If you think it's you, then we can start a club. That's me. Uh, James is getting used to being around my house. My sons are quite unique. I've taught my sons since the time they were young. If I say anything nonsensical or stupid or faithless or mean or sinful, you call me on it. And they do. You know, I don't sit there, you know, because I come from a household where as a kid you shut up. You know, you I don't care if I'm wrong, I'm your dad, you don't tell me I'm wrong, you just sit down and shut up. I I don't subscribe to that particular <laughs> view of looking at things. Okay, so I tell them, if I'm doing something wrong, you have to tell me if you love me. Boy, they took that and ran with it. 
And they run with it. I tell them, if you love me, and James is getting used to it too. I see the look on his face, the right look where you're like, you know, you're like, what? What did you just say? You want to go outside? You know, you get that look on your face. I see that look on his face all the time. And he, he recovers from it. And I, I, he'll get better and better, you know. <laughs> but they're going to let you know if you're not making sense. They're going to let you know if you're contrary to what the Bible says. They're going to let you know if you're being an ogre. And they have no problem telling me that. Because they know, hopefully, I hope they don't enjoy doing that. They seem like they enjoy it. That would be without love as well. But the fact of the matter it is, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that this is the character building we're supposed to have. You know, this is kind of funny for me. You know, when I grew up, I understood some things. I understood that men don't hug. Not manly. You know, we don't we don't hug one another. I'll shake your hand. I'll give you the abrazo. You know, something like that. But that's it, man. That's all you get. You don't get a hug. You know. I'm no pansy. If you're having a bad day, toughen up, buttercup. And some people might even say, why should I be affectionate? That's a girl's thing. Why should I be affectionate? Why should I be expected to be? Paul says, because love is kind. That's why. Love is kind. Generous, considerate, affectionate. Okay. I don't want to get irritated easily. And I want to be kind. Got it. It's not over yet. Paul is just going to bring this machine gun style. One right after the other. We have to see it over and over again. Love also does not envy. That means there is a lack of competition between brethren, except in one sense. If you turn to Romans 12 and 10, Paul tells the Romans, outdo one another in doing good. That's the only exception. That's it. And that's what he teaches us. That's what we know. We see it. There's a lack of competition. Instead, there's going to be this overflowing thankfulness. What's brother so-and-so doing in a Maserati? Doesn't he know those are expensive and he can use his money much better than that? Wait a minute. They moved to a better neighborhood. What? They're not happy with the neighborhood they're in. They have to get rid of their house. Move in a, you know, all these things. Would you look at the way they're dressing? That doesn't look like they're dressing according to their paycheck. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's funny the things that we can think and feel for one another that show our envy. I used to cry, thinking about my mom again. I used to cry to my mother and go, why are they treating me this way? Could have been my family members, could have been my friends, could have been people, you know, anywhere. And she'd just pat me on the back and go, honey, they're just jealous. Just, just deal with it. People do those things. She goes, I don't know why they do those things. They're just, they're envious, they're jealous. They think... They think you're trying to be better than them by doing things you're supposed to do. And she goes, I don't understand it. She goes, it's just the way that they are. And the Bible tells us that's not love. 
that love will not envy. When others do well, when they receive blessing, we don't criticize or balk. We don't wonder how they can justify that as if you and I were the people that others had to live to be justified with. We all live only to be justified to God. That's it. Anybody else doesn't have the justification? Tough. Love does not envy in that way. Patient, kind. Not envious. Boy, this is getting hard. It's getting difficult and it doesn't get any easier. Love does not boast. It's not arrogant. I'm never going to put pride on display. We have a lot of trouble with that, right? You did such a good job today. Oh, thanks. You know, I worked hard. I tried so hard to do that. You know, put in a lot of hours. I'm glad it came out the way it came out. No, (laughs) no, that's not what love does. Love doesn't boast. Love isn't arrogant. Love glorifies God. And that's it. And I'm not just talking about walking around going, oh, I just give God the glory. You hear that phrase all the time. That's a denominational phrase that goes out there all the time. I give God the glory. But nothing else. (laughs) You know, that's, that's not what that means. Giving God the glory me indeed, I'm going to deflect all recognition to God and His Word. I'm not going to be boastful. I'm not going to be arrogant. And Paul says then, love is also not rude. I will not thrive. I will not strive. I will not be rewarded by or content by dealing dishonor to others because of my words or my actions. How do we do that? Why we condescend to others. And then when we see their fallen countenance or their hurt feelings, we go, come on. I was just joking. Right? Have you ever heard that? There's a, I can't remember the proverb right now, but uh, there's a proverb about an evil man doing evil and then saying it was for sport. Right? I can't remember the exact proverb, but... You know, we don't get to blow away the fact that we have no love for others by going, I was just joking. And we all do that, don't we? We all, at one point or another, will do that. But Paul says, love isn't rude, period. Now, you shouldn't be so sensitive. <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't, but that's really not your call, is it? That's the thing to remember. I I can always agree with that. When somebody says, man, that person is so sensitive. I'm like, well, yeah, but there's usually reasons for that. And we don't know the reasons. If we did, we probably wouldn't do what we do, but that's a whole nother problem. The fact of the matter is, love is not rude. And love does not insist. Right? You're going to only accept harmony between brethren. That will be the only acceptable environment. Being selfish or demanding, that's not going to be tolerated. Because you know the fun fact that I think it's difficult for each and every one of us 
to come to understand is that it doesn't have to be your way. Ever. Well, doesn't it have to be my way sometimes? No. No, the prophets have shown us this. The apostles showed us this. It doesn't get to be your way ever. We were talking about that this morning in class. If you present the gospel, if you preach it to others, you're not going to have a good day. They do not like that. (coughs) Nobody likes the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you get through the Scriptures. It's just not, you know, some do and they will become Christians. That's great. But most people, no. No, no, no. This is going to be not good for you. And we have to be acceptable towards that. Accepting towards that. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't have to get my way. You don't have to get your way. The only person's way that has to be gotten is God. And His way is clear. And we can read it and we can teach it. Because love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. It's the tendency to overreact to human error. Have you ever met somebody and they did something foolish you should have known better? I tell you, that comes out of my mouth all the time for my sons. You know better than that. No, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's not the point right now. (laughs) That's not the point. The point is something greater. That may be true. If you've ever lived or if you're part of any kind of a sizable family... You often wonder, wait a minute, weren't you raised by the same two parents I was raised by? How could you possibly come out this way when we had the same teaching, the same raising? How did you go that direction, which is totally contrary to your raising, to your, to the way that you were parented? How, how did that happen? You know, we're always blown away by that. But the fact of the matter is, don't overreact to it. And certainly, don't provoke someone to anger because of their mistake. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Some people don't think. (laughs) They just don't. Some deal with the, the, the things in their life which were just those perfect storms. Have you ever had a perfect storm? I mean, you wouldn't have normally done that or been in that situation or reacted that way, but you just did because this happened and that happened and that happened? Have you ever had those days or those weeks or those years where it's just one row of you having one challenge after another and the end result was you looking in the mirror and going, I know better than that. It happens. So why are we going to be irritated at others? We're going to add to their embarrassment then? We're going to add to their feeling of foolishness? That's really what this word means. That's what being irritable means. Not like what we talked about before. Uh, But the fact that we're going to actively pursue this. That's what that irritable means. We're going to start actively pursuing this. No, we're not going to do that. That's not an attitude of love. We're going to understand that people sometimes don't think. We're going to understand that sometimes there are the perfect storms in people's lives. 
We are going to understand that it's about what I can do, not about what others can do. Have you ever heard those counselors? They say that. You can't change the whole world, so the thing you're going to have to do is change yourself. That's a biblical concept. You can't change the fact that your your spouse gets angry at you all the time, so you need to change something about yourself. We've got to deal with this. We've got to work to keep this together. They'll tell you things like that in your friendship, in your job, whatever. You can't change the people you work with. Don't you wish you could change the people you work with? I think that every day. Boy, I wish I could change. You can't. All you can do is be the person that you must be. And love defines who that individual is and what the character of that individual is supposed to be. And look at this. Love finds no joy then in wrongdoing. I've talked to people before and they're angry. Why are you angry? Well, you know, about six years ago, this person said this to me, and I've been boiling over it ever since. Happens in class. Uh, Mr. Wright, I see on your seating chart that you have me sitting next to that person. I cannot sit next to that person. Why is that? In third grade, and I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Cut that off right now. It's not third grade anymore. Get your big boy boots on, sit down. You know, this this has to be stopped. This thinking has to be stopped. Because we do that, right? Have you ever been mad at your spouse, or your child, or your parent, or his friend, or somebody else for something they did that's already done and it's over with and you shouldn't think about it anymore? <laughs> Wait a minute, i got a whole file here! Love finds no joy in wrongdoing. I'm not happy in the stumbles of others. I'm not going to file away all of people's mistakes in case I need to You have that juicy tidbit in the future, I think. Isn't that horrible? Love doesn't do that. That's what Paul is saying. Love simply doesn't do that. I don't need to remember people's imperfections so that I can get advantage later. I commit a sin when I do that. Paul says it's very clear. This is the character of love. It rejoices in the truth. There's nothing better than seeing somebody else understand the truth or or enjoy the truth or become better because of the truth. That's what love does. And love wants to see that so much that love's going to be dedicated to doing only that. That's why all those other things are not the character of love. Love rejoices in the truth. If you rejoice in something, you're not going to stop until you can rejoice in it again. Doesn't it make you feel wonderful to pray? I never hear anybody say, you know, after that prayer, I'm feeling very negative. If I did, I'd have to call Frank and see what I could do about him because that just doesn't make any sense. I just talked to God. (coughs) Now I don't feel so good. No, it's a wonderful feeling, and we should go back to it again and again and again. I just studied the Scriptures. I want to go back to it again and again and again. I love the truth. I rejoice in it. And therefore, love can bear, believe, hope, endure 
all things. Love is just always prepared to think the best of others. What if I get disappointed? Oh, love doesn't act that way. Love doesn't concentrate on that. You are going to get disappointed. Love understands that. And it's going to be okay to be disappointed. What if I get hurt? What if some harm comes to me? Love doesn't care about those things. Love focuses on truth. Love focuses on glorifying God. Love focuses on all of the positive things. Love isn't interested in the negative things. Or in doing them. See how Paul said? Desire, earnestly desire the better, the higher gifts, the greater gifts. And I'm going to show you what those are. And then he does. He shows you patience, which is greater than speaking in tongues. He shows you kindness, which is greater than prophecy. He shows you a lack of envy, which is greater than being an apostle. Look at all of those. Not being boastful, that's greater than all the miraculous gifts. Not being rude, that's greater than all of them. Not insisting on your own way, not being irritable. No selfishness. So that love can bear, believe, hope, and endure all things. No, there could not be anything better. Did Paul show them the more excellent way? Yes, he did. He showed them the higher, the better gifts than they already knew, than they already had, that they were not practicing. And He shows them to us right now. In this self-same passage, there can be no better thing in life than to have the character of love. There's nothing more excellent. There's nothing greater or higher than that way. And that's all we need to know. See, he told them before, be a part of the body. A working, active, nourishing part of the body. And when you do that, do that with love, or it's nothing. Let's remember that. I need to remember that as the ogre. You need to remember that as whatever things you know right now that nobody else knows. (laughs) Or maybe they do need to know. And I need to stop that. Whatever it is, be the member that is of love. You have that invitation, I have that invitation. If you are baptized into Christ this morning for the remission of your sins but you have not love, then you can have it. It's a decision that you make right now. If you aren't baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, everything you do without love, which would lead you to that, will become nothing. And nobody wants that for you. And you shouldn't want it for yourself. Whatever your need is, please let it be known. While we stand together... And while we sing.